look up into the sky. If an asteroid was coming straight towards you, how would you like NASA to handle it? Yes, this week on Download This Show, you will find out. Yes, NASA has a plan. Also on the program, why TikTok has become more of a search engine and home for knowledge over the last few years. Plus, inside what is being called the most important vote on the future of the internet. All of that and much more coming up. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed. It is a brand new episode of Download This Show. Our guest this week, joining us, uh, digital resident at the Queensland Art Gallery, it is creative technologist Jesse Hughes. Welcome back to Download The Show. Thanks so much. We're in the studio today and everything. I Exciting know. to be back. Very fancy. Uh, <laughs> and Associate Professor of ICT at CQU, also known as Professor Tech. Yes, that name is going to stick. Michael Cowling, welcome back to Download The Show. Thanks, Mark. Great to be here. And yes, planning for it to stick. <laughs> This is an all-Queensland show this week. Uh, All right, we're going to start off with uh, news about Elon Musk. What exciting thing happened in the world of Elon Musk this week? Uh, Michael, you can start us off. Well, Elon Musk uh, is being forced somewhat (laughs) to buy Twitter. Uh, People might remember that a little bit earlier this year, Elon Musk suggested that he wanted to buy Twitter and got to the point where he was ponying up the funds and signing the contracts and then decided that he wasn't wasn't quite as interested as he had suggested initially, but Twitter has decided that, no, they're going to hold him to that deal. They've now gone to their shareholders and said, are you okay with Elon buying Twitter? And they've said yes. So now they're going to hold him to the deal and it looks like it might end up in a court case soon. I still don't quite understand, Jesse, why Twitter wants this. Like, it's got to be like the most torturous, like, courtship in the history, like it's the most, like the most torturous courtship outside of like Game of Thrones. I know. Oh, I did watch that yesterday. House of Dragons. It does. It does feel pretty intense. I mean, like that much money on the table. I can understand why they're trying to push it through. Musk's opinion on the whole thing is that he's saying that there's, there's more fake accounts on the platform than the five percent that he was kind of promised. Um, and then there's been this stir that the security on the platform isn't great. Uh, talk about timing. When the deal went through, this is at the same time that they had a court case going through with Twitter's previous head of security, who kind of came out as a bit of a whistleblower. Lower, uh, saying that Twitter security wasn't excellent. And so now Musk is using that to his case, saying, okay, no, this is why I want to back out. Let me let me out of it. So if this thing goes through, is there a sense of timeline? Like, is there a sense of how fast it will happen, Michael? Uh, there, There isn't. I think there's there's probably some regulatory stuff involved in actually going through. But first, of course, we need to get through court, which they're anticipating will happen in October, to determine whether or not Elon will be forced to buy it or whether he'll have the opportunity to back out based on the what this security expert has said. At this point, Jesse, like, if, if this does play out, right, in addition to just, like, providing us, like, the most mileage ever since the existence of Facebook, as far as this show is concerned, um, <laughs> like... <laughs> Is there a sense of like what Elon would change about Twitter? Because I feel like the only reason I bring it up, because I know it's come up before, is that every, <laughs> every time, every, like every court appearance, every, like every week this drags on, I feel mm-hmm. like the, the acrimony increases, which makes me wonder if he just might like burn it down. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, oh, you can't really predict what anything uh, Musk is going to do. Yeah, I think his vision for what it could have been earlier this year was, you know, quite, quite bright and positive, and now I think it's got quite a negative thing he doesn't want to do, but <laughs> we'll see what happens in the courtroom, I suppose. All right, well, we'll just have to wait and see. Download the show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology, culture, and whatever it is that Elon Musk is up to. Our guest this week, Michael Cowling, Professor Tech. Uh, that is an official academic term. Uh, he's also at CQU. And Jesse Hughes, creative technologist. Mark Fennell is my name. And when you think of a search engine, there is one very big example that pops up. Bing. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm talking about <laughs> Google. But it turns out that people increasingly are using TikTok, the, the video sharing site, for, for search engine usage. Jesse, explain to me what is it, and I guess who mm. is using TikTok as a search engine? So TikTok is the world's most downloaded app for ages 18 to 24. This app has just bo- just boomed in popularity for the short-form video content. In terms of a search engine, like I kept trying to figure out why this is so popular. And to me, it feels authentic, <laughs> an authentic recommendation. Um, in the same way that when you Google, you know, a good restaurant or something like that, you are looking at reviews and recommendations and, and hoping that um, the algorithm's giving you popular stuff. With TikTok, I can see somebody at the restaurant. I can see the food that they're eating. I can immediately look at the comments and see like other people's opinions about the place. Um, so I think that sense of authenticity has made this search engine just seemed nice with personal recommendations. It feels like a friend recommending something and, you know, sending me a photo. So also the sense of like FOMO as well. Like when you see someone in a really nice place, you're like, oh crap, I want to do that too. So I think in terms of a search engine, like this is really interesting how youth are just going to the platform. I think it's going to really shift business models. If businesses aren't already seriously taking it into consideration what their strategy is, this could be more important than Google Ads um, if you are trying to target a, a younger demographic. But just in terms of that, like that, that FOMO, that sense of missing out, like is it, mm. is it any different to the sense of fear of missing out that you would get from, from Instagram? Like I get mm. that I get that Facebook's in a slightly different category because it, its audience base is much broader, it's much older. I, I get that. But but in terms of like how it would compare to something like Instagram, is the is the TikTok reach that different? I don't know. I think what I enjoy about TikTok, like it, you do press on like the comments and I think the comments are promoted, you know, up higher and um, you can, you know, like other people's comments and that kind of thing. So I think maybe the crowd, like crowd acknowledgement, as well as the more people that participate, like like a video on TikTok, like it really does get promoted across the platform. So yeah, I don't know. I think Instagram maybe feels a bit more designed, a bit more considered or curated, whereas TikTok, it feels genuine. You whip out your phone, you kind of just document something, add a bit of it. It it has that just authentic playfulness, which is quite uh, compelling, I think. I guess it's interesting you say that because, because Michael, if, if you look at the ad campaigns that TikTok have been, gone out to market with, they are marketing themselves as a as a place for knowledge, right? Like it's like the, the tagline is the more you know. Why is this valuable for TikTok to be seen as a place where people can go to kind of acquire knowledge? Like, the, you know, how-to videos and things like that. Like, cause that, that's a huge, like, that's a huge part of the component of what you can get on TikTok. It's not the only thing, right? But it's, it's a huge component. Why is it valuable for them, Michael, to be seen as a place for that? Look, I, I must admit, this is a trend that I didn't really understand. I, 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 
it sounds like Jesse might be a little bit younger than us, Mark. And <laughs> uh, and certainly uh, this idea okay, of... screw you. I'm very oh, young okay, and okay. very okay. Younger than me. You can tell I'm hip because I use the word hip, yeah, which is a okay. word that young and hip people use all the time. Uh, and, well, younger than me then. And, and, and I'd never understood it. Like, if I wanted to do a restaurant, if I wanted a restaurant review, I'd go and I'd look it up and I'd read a, a post, a restaurant review, and I'd still feel connected because I'd work out who the reviewer was. But you're right. All of the kids, they, they do it via YouTube and now via TikTok as well. And it certainly seems to be a trend among the kids that I interact with. I do interact with kids where where I say, how do you do something? And their immediate reaction is to go and look at a YouTube mm. video or now I guess maybe a TikTok video, whereas I would go and make a Google search. And I think maybe Jesse has nailed it. And uh, as I said, maybe, you know, understands it better than we do, uh, that it is about the connection and it is about the friends. They feel like they're getting an authentic recommendation mm. from somebody who they feel friendly with, who they feel connected with in a way that we we really don't understand. And that's different than uh, than reading a review in the newspaper or, or these days on a website or a blog or something. Does that ring yeah. true to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I can see a video of someone who sounds and looks kind of like me doing a great fun thing with their friends, like it, it does make me feel that I, I want to participate. Whereas like reading a Yelp review, number one, I immediately don't trust it. I think that that's, <laughs> the restaurant has written that review themselves. So, and as well, like I am aware that people are paying for ads and optimizing stuff on Google. So it it feels just a bit more, yeah, organic, I suppose. But I mean, the the risk of how all these videos do pass through and stuff is like, you can get a lot of misinformation, disinformation, passing through because of the virality of the algorithm like the it, it, they just they just spread really fast <laughs> everything spreads really really fast and once a video is out there it's kind of hard to kind of take it back whereas when you're you're saying um like learning videos Michael, i think how to videos were youtube's most popular search video yeah. uh, like the search thing so the fact that now people are jumping on i also think it's um the speed of the speed of information i, I my attention span i kid you not is less than half a second on a video that i scroll through and so you have maybe five seconds maximum to educate me on the thing that you're pitching me and our attention span we especially with yeah, younger people now it's like you have it or, or you're gone um and so i think consolidating like all of this exciting stuff into two, three, five seconds, it just catches your brain in a different way to, I will not sit through a how-to video. <laughs> and even Google, even, no, it's, it's actually funny I'm saying this out loud now. YouTube videos, um, if you search like how-to stuff and you go into the browser, it, Google will um, jump forward to the video in the search bar to where the information you actually want is from because they know a young person is not going to sit through the whole video to wait to try and figure out where in the video they actually give the hot tip. So <laughs> you're dealing with tiny attention spans <laughs> um, and a complete lack of trust with young people as well. Like we really, I think that recommendation from a friend is the thing that we kind of take strongly the most. And with TikTok, it's, you know, it's not true. They're not my best mate, but it, it feels it feels like this sense of kind of camaraderie with um, yeah, seeing people your age doing doing things. It's interesting that you say that because I I suddenly realised that I like to cook and I haven't cooked a single recipe for the last year that I haven't seen that it hasn't at least started as an Instagram video, like because <laughs> that's just all the algorithm serves up to me now. It's just like food, <laughs> food and recipe nice. videos, um, and as a result, I just. When I cook now, whenever I'm at the shops, I just flick through Instagram to say, like, well, what have I saved? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll get the ingredients for that, 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 and that. And I, I realise I haven't actually read a recipe. I haven't read a methodology in, like, a year, but I do just watch the video over and over again and go, 
Ooh, I reckon it was 187 uh, degrees. Because <laughs> often it's lo- it doesn't have any of that detail. You're just like, I'm just going to guess and see if it works. Um, does it work? Um, does it work? I work? mean, well, yes, it does. But I think it's probably reliant on a, a lot of guesstimates. And I think there's certain kind of recipes that translate well to social and some that don't. And actually, uh, that, that was where I was kind of going with that, which is, are there, you know, if you to take... Um, TikTok in particular as a search engine, right, as, a, as mm-hmm. a repository for knowledge, and we know that people are going there for certain kinds of things, what are the sorts of things that you would go to TikTok for over something like Instagram or Google, right? So are there particular sorts of things? Um, and again, I, I'm only going off like what the algorithm serves me. The algorithm serves me a lot of food and for reasons I cannot explain, a lot of dance tutorials, even though I have absolutely two left feet, but I like watching people that are like, can move smarter than me but for like for you i'll start with you michael for for you what are the sorts of things you would go to tiktok for over say an instagram or a google look i think it is those short form how-to videos and i think that's what tiktok has cracked i mean we all remember that tiktok was originally about you know kids dancing to tunes and, and little silly jokes right very short but i think what tiktok has realized recently is that they can they can squeeze that how-to that jess was talking about into 60 seconds so how to you know uh how to do some amateur plumbing or how to you know how to cook a very basic recipe and look i'm amazed mark that your ship shopping list is apparently Instagram posts as well. That's So the, apparently it's not TikTok for recipes, it's Instagram for recipes for Mark Fennell. But I think <laughs> uh, I think it's those short form how-to videos that are really comprising that short knowledge that people think they can access in a, in a minute or a couple of minutes. Just mm. be grateful I don't post more of the end results. Uh, for you, Jesse, um, <laughs> yeah. for you, what are the sorts of things you, you would go, and, and I'll ask you the inverse of this afterwards, but, but what are the sorts of things you, you think TikTok is really good for? As a search mm. engine, it's really good for particular topics. Um, I think it's excellent for, this sounds so lame and deep, <laughs> personal advice. <laughs> like it, it has this sense of vulnerability. People who share videos on TikTok just have this sense of complete vulnerability, complete truth, honesty. It's like they're making a joke out of their situation a lot of the time. And I think this really nice youthful comedy that comes behind it, it just makes it really engaging and fun because they're kind of, you know, taking the piss out of themselves a lot of the time in these videos. So you have the information, you have the data, but you also have this completely visually stimulating sense of like hanging out with a friend and getting some fun facts that you can. It's also, because it's bite-sized, I feel that I can retain the information that's being shared as well. And what about the stuff you absolutely would not go to <laughs> to TikTok for? Oh, gosh. This is the funny thing because, like, my immediately my brain is like, oh, well, science, right? But science is one of the best things on the platform. Yeah, I was going to say. That's the thing. The platform is absolutely excellent for teaching these fun science facts and these things. Like, yeah, sure, fact check on a other platform. But, um, yeah, I, I honestly can't think of something that I wouldn't really go to the platform for because it, to me, it's hearing, you know, advice from other people kind of within my demographic almost I don't know I'm 28 I don't know where I fall <laughs> on the edge between both millennial and Zs but yeah I, th- I think it's, I, it's it's a very compelling um, platform how about you Michael what what are the sorts of things you like eh 
probably wouldn't go to, to TikTok for this? Uh, well, most things, actually. I don't actually have a TikTok account, Mark, so I think the answer would be nothing. And But, yeah, Jesse, I'm 43, so... This, but this is <laughs> uh, why you also have six degrees, but <laughs> yeah. you've got time on your hands. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, yeah, TikTok is a con- complete and utter consumer of time. Um, I think, I don't know the stats, but I was doing something, you know, like most Zetas are spending about two hours a day or something on the platform, which is a significant amount of time. But, say, I spend over an hour or something on Instagram every day. I think maybe I'd spend two hours on Instagram, which is horrifying to say out loud. <laughs> um, but when you do get those data um, points get sent through to your phone, um, it's really clear, like, how much these platforms have taken taken our time. And I think that's why someone like Google, like Google who is obviously, like, the leading search engine, they also own YouTube. And so when people are dropping off YouTube to go over to, to TikTok, they are sitting up to be okay, why is this happening and how do, we, how, do we, how do we engage youth? Because TikTok's done it better than absolutely anyone else. I just realised that I'm sort of halfway between the two of you. I'm, I'm 37 and I realise that, I, and I'm, I've, I think I've possibly said this on the show before, that there's a, there's a Venn diagram where I, I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm too old to have a TikTok account, uh, but I'm just young enough to waste a good hour every day watching TikToks that have been reposted to Instagram about a month after they were relevant. That's me. I'm, I'm in that, uh-huh, that little uh-huh. sliver. That's where I live. That's right. <laughs> well, whereas I'm complaining about getting off my lawn, Mark. Get off my lawn, <laughs> Mr. Fennell. <laughs> I want to play here. Uh, download the show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology, culture and uh, generational gaps. Um, <laughs> and on September 29 uh, in Romania will be a vote, possibly one of the most important votes in the history of the internet. It'll change mm. the internet, but exactly how will it change the internet and what is this vote? Jesse, explain to me what's going down on September 29 in Romania. Okay, this is a really big topic to try and consolidate. So here we go. The International Telecommunications Union, the ITU, this has been around for 150 years. This is a UN agency that sets rules for like how much of the global telecom and tech infrastructure works. So pretty much how the internet works. So coming up, we have a vote for who is going to be the new Secretary General of this UN agency. Now, we have two candidates for the top job. So we have an American candidate and a Russian candidate. The reason this is such a big, big, big deal is we are talking about setting setting kind of standards. Now, if we look over at the European Union, the United States and other Western democracies, we believe and support an internet that is a free-for-all version of the internet. So we have a core belief that countries shouldn't, they should not dictate how the digital world is run, um, but instead that we kind of get involvement from not-for-profits or from companies in terms of how these rules are created. So we want people who are technologists and experts in the field to actually kind of be defining how we set policies in place for this free-for-all version of the internet. On the other hand, you have countries like China, Russia and other authoritarian countries who are calling for a model of the internet that would place uh, kind of politicians in the driver's seat of the tech standards and kind of give governments the final say of what can appear online. Mm. So we've got the American candidate, Doreen Bogdan-Martin, and then uh, Rashid Ismailov, who uh, is the the Russian candidate. Now, the interesting thing, Michael, is that uh, Ismailov is kind of, kind of, he's campaigned on this idea of, of, of not wanting... Uh, the ITU to become politicised, right? And I 
And what do you think motivates that argument? Like, what, why do you think he would go with that argument? Look, I don't think he can he can win if he argues for the for the very uh, sort of draconian top down style of the internet, just because that's the antithesis of what the internet has been. This uh, this idea of the mm. internet is very close to my heart as an academic. Academics sort of created the internet in the sixties and the seventies, and because it was created by academics, it wasn't driven by policy and government and and that top down sort of approach. It was driven by agreement amongst academics initially as to what were the best approaches to do things and how we should make things work. Mm. And that's, as Jesse said, that's what's been the case for for 30 or 40 years. And so so now if we were to vote somebody in that had that top-down sort of approach where government and, and policy sort of drove what happened on the internet, then I think that would be, people would argue against that. So the Russian candidate is very careful in saying, look, we're not going to let policy drive this. But I think the American candidate, who has been a, a member of the ITU for, I think, 30 odd years, mm. uh, is suggesting, no, we should, we should continue the way we are with this sort of unregulated free internet as opposed to something that has any influence from governments because inevitably, you know, lobbying groups and, and interests are going to take hold if we do that. I mean, when we say, so this, this, this sort of dichotomy of, of, you know, bottom up, top down, I mean, what is... Is is there an example of what top down actually looks like? Is has 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 have policies been put forward that demonstrate what a top down version of this would look like? So. I'll give you an example. The Chinese uh, have have a little bit of a reputation, to be fair, um, and they had suggested that one of the protocols that runs the internet, and some people might know it, is called IP, which was one of the protocols developed in the 60s and the 70s originally, should be replaced by a newer, better version of IP that the Chinese are proposing that has more ability to be monitored by government agencies mm. and tracked by government agencies than the original protocol. And so when we have this top-down approach, we have the potential for these government agencies and these these top actors to influence what actually happens on the internet and change uh, it for their benefit. Yeah, like on, on the back of that, like this the, the new IP, um, that proposal, it would require people to actually register themselves to gain access to online services and allow governments to turn off parts of the inter- internet almost instantaneously. And so this idea of... Um, yeah, regi- registering to access the internet and that kind of stuff. Whereas right now we have this open, open, it's access accessible. And so you've got just two very different uh, approaches to how and what should be taking place, kind of going face to face with this vote. Since the ITU was formed and since the internet was formed, uh, it's changed a lot, right? It, it, you know, we've have massive corporations that dominate our experience of the internet. Um, And we have massive hardware companies that have a a huge control over the internet. How much role do you think the, the commercial companies that really, let's be honest, manage our access to the internet in quite a legitimate way, how how much control should they have over, over shaping what, uh, how an organisation like the ITU operates? Look, I think it's a really interesting question because I think idealistically when the internet was created, it was created as an unfiltered, open sort of access platform created predominantly by technologists and community groups. And I think over the last, let's say, 20 or 30 years, commercial interests have sort of 
driven the internet a little bit more. If you think back to what happened with Microsoft in the 1990s with the antitrust case, that was predominantly about the fact that they were bundling Internet Explorer into Windows and so therefore forcing the internet to sort of be adjusted and controlled to the way that Microsoft wanted it as opposed to those open standards. And I think we could argue that it's only gotten worse over the last 20 years as Facebook and various other organisations have, have taken control of the internet and have kind of have kind of moulded it to work towards their particular interests. Uh, one of the statistics I often quote to my students is that 80% of people find things on the internet via a Google search. And so the converse is that if your website is not available on Google, it may as well not exist. And I think what we need to decide is as we're moving forward, are we going to be able to get control back from those commercial organisations of the internet? Or do we need a policy maker to take control because I think what you're highlighting, Mark, is that the the worst scenario is that it is driven by the commercial companies and uh, surely a better scenario would be government or the best scenario would be if we had control over it like we did in the 60s and the 70s. Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture and very soon NASA is going to crash into an asteroid on purpose. Uh, This is part of the DART mission and this is all part of a plan to actually change the direction of an asteroid. This is our defence against asteroids. Uh, Jesse, <laughs> this sounds like a Bruce Willis movie, I'm not going to lie. Yes. What exactly is the plan? Yes. Uh, well, I mean, if we are talking about movies, I watched Don't Look Up last year, which is great. But the problem with, like, they use nuclear weapons to blow up the asteroid, but that would mean that debris, like, could fall back onto our planet. So um, this is kind of a bit of an experiment to see of can we actually push um, an asteroid off off its path if it were come coming to kind of attack attack Earth. <laughs> um, and so the double asteroid redirection t- test, DAS, um, it got sent off uh, last year and so it went out into, into space in November last year with SpaceX. Um, and so it's nearing its 11-month journey, which is exciting, um, and it's approaching... Uh, this asteroid, which is about to try and knock off its knock off its course, um, so this they're moving f- so fast that that should be able to kind of knock it off just just a fraction, just a fraction of a percent off its orbital path. But that could mean massive things if it were coming towards us. So exactly how will it work, Michael? Like, like it, it's not <laughs> when we say it's going to crash on purpose. Like, is it is it going to crash in an explosive way? How big are we talking? Like, paint a picture for me. So first and foremost, uh, congratulations to NASA for not going the Bruce Willis Armageddon style, uh, blow it up from the inside and don't look up, as Jesse said, also went with this approach. Instead, what NASA has decided to do is kind of go for the pool balls in the pub approach, right? So what you do is you take something and you throw it at a little tiny asteroid and you hope that that tiny asteroid, or you plan that that tiny asteroid will hit the bigger asteroid and knock the bigger asteroid off course. And they are very careful to remind us that none of these asteroids are actually going to hit us. I think the article that I read said it three times. They want to make it very clear that this <laughs> is not a don't look up scenario. But instead, what they're trying to do is is if we if we hit this smaller asteroid that hits this bigger asteroid, knocks this bigger asteroid off course, can we then see that we have had successfully diverted this asteroid and changed its path slightly? And of course, the plan is that if there is ever a Bruce Willis, Deep Impact, Morgan Freeman style scenario, then uh, this might be the way that they go instead of trying to blow the thing up. 
so will we actually get to see what it looks like, Michael? Well, that's, that's the point, Mark, is that we want to see whether or not the asteroid actually moves. And so there are actually cameras built into the, to the satellite that they've actually sent, the DART satellite, so we can see the impact, which I think will be really exciting. There are also some cameras that have been broken off from the, from the, uh, from the satellite that they've sent, the object that they've sent, that can monitor from afar. And then we're also using the, uh, the, the radio frequency telescopes that we have here in Australia and in other countries around the world to actually watch what's happening as well. Uh, but it's not going to be, although I think the impact itself might be interesting, what they're actually going to be looking for in, in true scientist fashion is just a, a overall movement, a small movement of the orbital path of this asteroid over time. And so, sorry, Mark, there, there won't be any exciting explosions, I don't think. Instead, it'll just be a line that moves slightly over several months. But will Aerosmith start singing though? Like, well, surely that at a minimum will happen, right? Surely, surely, surely. Look, well, I'm I, just, th- I th- think so. I mean, if Aerosmith <laughs> don't start singing, then I think technically that's considered a massive failure. Oh, no. Well, you can stream the thing on NASA TV at se- September 27 at 8 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. So if you'd like to see something move slightly, <laughs> <laughs> it's very exciting. Um, it's Yeah, I didn't even know NASA has a TV program. But there, there you go. There you go, indeed. Uh, that is all we've got time for on the program this week. Huge thank you to creative technologist Jesse Hughes. Yay, thanks so much, guys. Have a great afternoon. And Michael Cowling, uh, Associate Professor of ICT at CQU, Professor Tech. Thank you for joining us on the show. Thanks, Mark. Great to be here. Really enjoyed it. And if you enjoyed the program, make sure you leave a review on whichever podcasting app you happen to have heard us on. And with that, I shall leave you. My name is Mark Fennell. And thanks for listening to another episode of Download This Show.